0: Welcome to Immigration Nerds. This past week was filled with news of consecutive restrictive measures taking place within immigration. To make sense of the week, we brought in a dedicated advocate within the space, Greg Chen. Greg is the Director of Government Relations for American Immigration Lawyers Association, or AILA for short. He directs his team in Congressional Advocacy, Legislative Reform, and interacting with major government agencies, providing services to over 16,000 AILA lawyers to help make sure their cases with families and agencies are handled appropriately. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have Greg Chen, Director of Government Relations for ALA American Immigration Lawyers Association it's a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show, Ian.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, So today is an episode where we encapsulate and bring context to this past week in immigration. This week has been a product of many restrictive measures taking place, and we are here to discuss the impact and what organizations are doing in response. So we learned last week that USCIS is no longer adjudicating requests for non-military deferred action, uh, which is a form of temporary relief for immigrants facing special and often life-threatening circumstances. Uh, what is the impact of this change in policy?
1: So what ALA learned through its own members just a week or so ago, uh, is that USCIS has been sending notices to people who applied for deferred action, uh, which USCIS had been granting at its local offices for many years, and that USCIS is now no longer going to adjudicate these requests for any cases that are not military-related. And the impact of this change in policy is that people who have severe medical conditions Mm -hmm. for which they need assistance health care in the united states and many have already been living here for many years Mm -hmm. and need to continue receiving that treatment or non-medical cases people who have compelling circumstances that require them to stay here in the united states uh, that suddenly these people who depend on deferred action as a temporary form of relief from deportation to allow them to stay in the united states they are no longer going to be able to stay. And this is literally uh, life-threatening circumstances. People will suffer uh, tremendously if they are forced to leave the country.
0: Wow. Um, could you give us a, an example? Sure.
1: Uh, the, a couple of examples, uh, a case involving a woman who is living in New Jersey currently. Uh, she came to the United States 14 years ago. And she and her husband and her daughter came to the United States. Uh, They had an approved immigration petition. During the time when they were waiting for their immigration uh, process to go through, her husband passed away. And as a result, uh, she and her daughter were left in a limbo status, and they've been waiting for over a decade to uh, for their green card. And there is a separate provision under immigration law that allows her as the widow of her husband uh, to be able to apply for a green card, but she has to wait for an eligible date uh, to become current in order for her to adjust her status and get a lawful permanent resident status. In the interim, the usual mechanism is for her to apply for deferred action with USCIS. And that's exactly what she did. But she received a denial notice from USCIS saying that uh, she has to leave the country. And if she doesn't, within about 30 days, she could be put into immigration court removal proceedings. Enforcement would be brought against her. And in talking to her, this case is just so... Uh, heart-wrenching because she is not only struggling with her husband's death, but she says she feels like she's being punished for it, and that she is at risk now of having to uh, be separated from her daughter, uh, for whom she is the sole surviving caregiver, Uh, and she's only known the United States as her home for the past 14 years. And so this is just a a clear example of the mean-spiritedness of this particular policy.
0: Right. So we're assuming that they have received a pretty significant criticism. Um, and on September 2nd, USCIS backtracked on this actual change. Um, what is the new policy now?
1: So what's important to realize about how USCIS has implemented this policy is that there's been very little, if any, notice to the public about what's happening here. Uh, There hasn't been an announcement of a change in policy and AIMLA only learned about it because our members started receiving these notices of denial uh, and notifying us that this was happening and they couldn't understand it. Ela has since uh, notified Congress about it, and we held a press conference last week with several members of Congress featured on it, uh, and almost 130 members of Congress sent a letter to USCIS last week Over the weekend, we think due to the pressure that Ayla and others uh, brought to bear on this, uh, USCIS said they would uh, slightly revise what they are going to do, and they are now going to reopen requests for deferred action that were pending as of August 7th. Uh, And so uh, that's at least one small step uh, and we're glad that they've taken this initial corrective step. It shows that they are trying to uh, listen uh, to the public and uh, to ALA and Congress, but it's just not nearly enough. I mean, Mm -hmm. what's going to happen even to just these people that are able to now get their cases reopened? uh, What happens in a year or two years when they need to renew their deferred action requests? What happens to this woman in New Jersey uh, who uh, is still waiting for her green card petition to go through uh, because her husband passed away. If she doesn't get that granted, uh, she won't have the opportunity to apply for deferred action. Mm -hmm. USCIS said initially that ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement, would be the proper agency to apply for. Uh, But so far, ICE has given no indication that they are going to take any requests affirmatively for deferred action. And so the only mechanism uh, that is out there is if you are put into removal proceedings uh, where enforcement is brought against you that ICE might ever consider it. That is a very threatening posture for any person who's facing uh, circumstance such as this woman or all of the kind of medical cases that we have heard about uh, where people's uh, life circumstances are are very much hanging in the limb, uh, for them now to have to worry about uh, having ICE enforce immigration law against them.
0: Right. And could you I just say again, when is this uh, House Oversight Committee conducting this hearing? So the House
1: Oversight Committee is going to be conducting a hearing on Wednesday, September 11th. This okay. is uh, pulled together on a very urgent basis uh, to get more information about what the agency is planning to do here, and also to ask for an explanation as to why this was even necessary. We are generally talking about a policy uh, of granting deferred action to these cases that's very small. We're talking about about 1,000 cases a year. In the grand scheme of the uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of applications that USCIS reviews every year, uh, it's not very many cases. To go after this highly compelling population, and certainly goes against the mission of USCIS to serve the public, uh, and that is why Ala is so deeply concerned about how uh, this administration is managing immigration and the agency's response for immigration. There needs to be far better oversight of those agencies to make sure that they are serving the public well and doing what they are required to do based on a congressional statute.
0: Got it. Got it. DHS recently blocked House Oversight Committee staff from visiting detention centers. Has there been any response from DHS leadership as to why they are blocking visits?
1: I have not heard of a specific response recently to uh, concerns that DHS had shut down planned tours by the House Oversight Committee of 11 detention centers. Uh, What I do know uh, through correspondence that the House Oversight Committee has now sent to DHS is that there has been disagreement uh, between the House committee staff and DHS um, as to whether they would even allow congressional staff to interview detainees at the facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, from A.L.A.'s perspective, uh, the agency absolutely needs to be uh, transparent about the conditions in these facilities and giving congressional offices um, access to interview detainees in careful confidential settings is absolutely necessary as a part of the oversight function. And for DHS to put up barriers to that is just unacceptable. And it's important to recognize the broader picture here about oversight of Homeland security immigration detention centers, which are used both for short-term purposes at the border regions, but also for people who are seeking asylum that might be stuck in detention for months or even years. And the fact is that even though there are standards of detention, uh, either done through uh, policy or uh, some that are based in in law and statute, uh, the fact is that the standards are very poorly enforced. The kinds of oversight investigations that are done typically uh, do not have uh, effect in shutting down facilities that are substandard where we see uh, improper food for toddlers, infants, rooms that are kept exceptionally cold, mm-hmm. inadequate access to medical care. Uh, these are all fundamental human rights conditions that any individual should be uh, made sure that they have uh, while they're in detention, Uh, and the government owes that responsibility to the people in detention as well as to the American public. Across the board, we are seeing reports now that that's not happening. The DHS inspector general has made reports that there's immediate risk to the health and safety of people detained in some of these facilities, uh, and the lack of oversight and the fact that DHS wouldn't allow congressional staff to go in there uh is is really unacceptable
0: okay thank you the next portion of this episode is from a previous recording with greg chin so there have been interviews of uh, individuals who face inadequate care and cbp custody so what were are some of the main takeaways that you've gotten from these survey responses? So,
1: what I should explain is that ELA uh, and several partner organizations, the American Immigration Council, the Catholic Legal Immigration mm-hmm. Network, Texas Rural Aid, uh, are filing a complaint uh, now with DHS, with the Inspector General, also with the FBI, uh, regarding uh, the terrible, harmful impact on children detained at CBP facilities at the U.S.-Mexico border. And our complaint documents the government's systematic failure to provide adequate medical care uh, to children in custody. Um, and CBP is violating its own internal uh, guidance and extensive medical guidelines. And what we're talking mm-hmm. about is... Uh, Thousands of men and women and children who are held in CP custody every year, uh, we've sampled some of them and obtained detailed accounts from about a dozen of them that are in our complaint, uh, but we also conducted a survey of 200 detained families about the substandard conditions uh, in those facilities.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So let me explain a little bit about the details of what we found uh, and then right. the actions that, that we are seeking uh, in the complaint.
0: Sure. Okay. Yes. In
1: found that 60% of the mothers reported that their child's health worsened while they were in custody of CBP. Mm -hmm. Another statistic is that 61% of the mothers that we surveyed who requested medical care for their children did not receive any medical care. Wow. And we're talking about uh, severe cases here. Uh, I'll give you a a couple of examples.
0: So, So you're saying that they... They would just be ignored <laughs> after they requested you know, medical care? Their requests were just denied?
1: Uh, that's right. There are particular uh, rules that will be stated to uh, the detainees. One rule, for example, is that you don't get medical assistance until you or your child vomits three times. So wow. one case involves Goodness. a Honduran mother with a nine-year-old daughter. The nine-year-old daughter vomited twice uh, and kept asking for medical assistance but was told, sorry, you have to vomit three times before you get any medical care. And in this right. particular case, the daughter uh, has uh, an illness with uh, cysts that prevent her kidneys from working properly.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. And
1: but she was told by medical care providers that she, her daughter needs to bathe and change her clothing, her underwear in particular, uh, daily to prevent urinary tract infections. Uh, But when she arrived in CBP custody, uh, she was given no bath, uh, no underwear, change of clothes uh, for a period of five days, during which time she was in that detention. Uh, I should note that one of the CBP's own standards uh, says that uh, people generally should not be held for uh, 72 hours or more. That's a 2015 standard. Uh, And this uh, mother and her child were held for five days and not only held for that period of time in violation of the uh, guidelines, uh, but not given any uh, opportunity to bathe or change her clothing, which she needs. And the mother uh, had to put a sanitary napkin in her daughter's underwear because there was no other alternative without any change of clothes or ability to bathe. And as I mentioned before, uh, her daughter got really sick when she was in there and vomited twice but got no medical care for that
0: wow. Mm-hmm. please
1: so another mother with a three-year-old daughter and we're talking a toddler here they arrived um, at the facility um and uh after they arrived the facility was put under a medical quarantine uh, and that restricted detainees access to services at the facility it goes into kind of a, a more restrictive lockdown kind of a situation In that time, uh, uh, this woman's daughter became very ill, um, and her daughter vomited about 10 times during a one-hour
0: period.
1: But because of the quarantine, officials told the mother uh, she couldn't receive medical care. Uh, And the daughter made uh, uh, frequent visits to the bathroom uh, because the daughter uh, started having diarrhea. The bathroom was filthy. The daughter is only three years old and is accustomed to drinking from a bottle, but the officials refused to provide a bottle. And so the daughter then stopped drinking liquids almost completely, uh, and that really affected her health even worse. Uh, they received no medication for several, uh, for a significant period of time, and other parents who were there at the same time became so angry that they started uh, complaining about it actively. Um, after that, CP gave. Um, All of the adults, a pill, and some of the children, uh, a dose of liquid medicine. Uh, But that was Mm. the only medicine uh, this particular mother and her daughter received during the eight-day period that they were detained there. Wow. Wow. So you asked Mm. about what kinds of actions need to be taken. Uh, Right. I mean, first of all, the fact that DHS is not giving oversight access to Congress, the key constitutionally uh, mandated you know, oversight branch, is just uh, completely inexcusable. That access should be given. Uh, but more importantly, the agency should be providing humane care for the people that are in there. And that includes complying with the regulations that, and the standards that uh, the agency has put forth saying that you shouldn't be detaining people for these extended periods of time. In the long Mm -hmm. term, detention is just not the solution. And we know DHS and this administration have been using detention and escalating the practice of detention in order to deter more people from coming. Uh, And federal courts have already said that using detention as a method of deterring asylum seekers from coming to the United States is not lawful and not acceptable, but they continue to do it. Uh, The way this administration needs to be addressing the fact that we have a humanitarian crisis in Central America that's driving people out of Central America, many of whom are coming to our borders, is to make sure that our asylum process is efficient and fair and that people who need screening for some get that screening and it's done efficiently um, by asylum officers and the courts. Um, Kevin McAleenan, the DHS Mm. secretary, said so last night on September 3rd on television, uh, that he wants asylum processing the courts to work. Uh, But he is really not being honest with the public uh, because under his leadership, DHS is dispensing with due process. Uh, It's making it much harder for people to gain access to asylum when they come to our borders. It's truncating the court system to deny people real opportunity to get a fair day in court. And we all know how important having a fair day in court is, restricting that and making it much harder for people to have a fair process. That is the kind of system that Americans understand we need to have, and that's where investments should be made, rather than pouring literally hundreds of millions, now billions of dollars, into expensive detention that is being borne by American taxpayers um, and is, is hurting families like the two mothers I just described before.
0: So in conclusion, what do these restrictive measures say about one this administration and what organizations and the public should do in response?
1: Well, we have covered today uh, about the practices at U.S. Citizenship Immigration Services and Mm -hmm. with DHS's detention practices on the border uh, really demonstrate why there is urgent need for greater oversight and accountability over the agencies that are responsible for immigration, both for immigration services and immigration enforcement. Uh, They are literally running rogue. Uh, They are no longer serving the public properly, either because USCIS is uh, no longer adjudicating deferred action cases or many other cases being filed by businesses and families and for humanitarian protection. Uh, That's all not operating the way it should be. USCIS is no longer functioning like a service-oriented agency, and that's why Congress and the public should demand transparency. Similarly, uh, the enforcement agencies, ICE and Customs and Border Protection, need greater oversight uh, because they are not ensuring due process or humane conditions for people Mm -hmm. that are coming across the border seeking asylum, seeking other legal relief, they're being turned away, and they're being detained in horrible conditions. Uh, that really just turn the stomach of any individual uh, that Americans are not going to tolerate, and we need to put a stop to this.
0: For more content and immigration updates, please follow us at EIGLaw.com, and make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG Nerds podcast to join in the conversation. Thanks for listening. See you next time.